the harshest of operating conditions. Large-scale investment, planning, and commitment places the offshore sector in a league all on its own, where the stories of people aren't found anywhere else. From safety to operations to new technology, we look to break down this often mystified industry and shed light into the unknown. You're listening to the Oil & Gas Offshore Podcast with your host, Andy Lash. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Oil & Gas Offshore Podcast, where we are making waves in the oil and gas industry. Today, we've got a great guest on. We've got Jim Mather with Oladin Technologies. He's here to take through some of the different solutions that Oladon Technology is offering the market, primarily with a focus on uh, wireline and uh, the technologies that may help reduce some of those costs in this process today. So, Jim, thank you for the time. Okay, thank you, Andy. I uh, look forward to the discussion. I think it'll be an informative one. Are, you're in Houston, correct? Yes, that's correct. We're in the southwest of Houston in the city of Stafford. It's right on the border of Sugarland, Highway 59. Ah, okay. I know the area well. Spent a good five plus years living down there. I lived in Webster, so I wasn't too far from there. You don't sound Texan, though. Have you always lived <laughs> in Texas? <laughs> yeah, that's right. So I'm from the UK originally, and this is my second time coming to, to the US. I'm a citizen now. But for a long time, I worked here on uh, visas. Okay. How, how do you like the States? Do you, it's do you miss it? It's fantastic. Yeah? It's the best place you could live. Absolutely. Wonderful. That's great to hear. Have you only lived in Texas or have you gotten around the U.S. a little bit? No, I've, I've only stayed in Houston. And, you know, there's so much to do in Texas and Louisiana next door. New Mexico is a great place. Into Oklahoma. I haven't explored much of the North or the Northeast. That's probably my ambition, as well as to get over to the national parks in the northwest i need to do that yeah no they're great they're great i've always lived in the u.s and i've i still haven't checked a lot of those boxes off myself i i've seen most of the western half of the u.s either through work or just moving around but i still haven't seen much of like i haven't seen any of like the northeast i've been in new york city once twice but that was that wasn't enough i so i i still have plenty to see myself but i'm glad you enjoy it that's great. Yeah, thanks, Andy. Do you miss the UK, though? You know, obviously, it's great to go back and see family and taste the food that you miss. I would say that the biggest challenge in the UK is the is the rain and the inability to get outside and explore outside. You know, I, I enjoy cycling my bicycle, and you just can't do those things as easily in the UK as you can here. You just got a great environment here. Yeah, well, that's that's good. Wonderful. Well, happy to have you. And like I said, we'll jump into the conversation. Before we do that, let me give our shout out to our sponsor. Our sponsor of the show, like always, is Tidewater. Tidewater owns and operates the largest fleet of offshore support vessels in the industry. With over 60 years of experience supporting offshore energy exploration and production activities worldwide. If you are interested in support for your maritime operations, you can learn more about Tidewater through their website at www.tdw.com. And as always, again, I'm always looking for feedback. The best way for any of you listeners to support the show is to go to where you're receiving this content, leave a review, leave a comment, share the episodes that you find interesting on social media. All of that helps move us forward, helps us get better. 
and comments and feedback. I'll take those and, and read them on future episodes as I get them. So thank you very much for, for that help there. Jim, how about we just start? We've already touched on a little bit of kind of where you're from and, and you know how you got here to the States, but how about from a, an industry background? How did you get to where you are today? Yeah, certainly. So from the beginning, I started in Schlumberger back in December 95, and that was in the North Sea, working out of Aberdeen. So I lived there for five years, and then I transferred to Houston in 2001 as a training instructor. And then I, after a year and a half there, I worked in a product development team on a new technology called Formation Pressure Wall Drilling. And after that, I, I kind of had a, a sideways move in that organization and went into a different career, which is manufacturing. So then I stayed in the manufacturing and uh, worked at two different product centers, three different roles in manufacturing. One is a manufacturing engineer. The next was as a production manager when I moved to England at Stonehouse. And then as a technology center manager for manufacturing at Stonehouse. And then I moved back to the States in 2013. And that was working for GE, and I stayed in their MWD, LWD sort of division for two years before I joined Oliden Technology as their business developer. Awesome. How do you find the difference between, so you were in development and then moved into manufacturing? Did I get that right? Actually, I was in a development team purely as a field test coordinator, and then I moved into manufacturing. Yeah, that was a lot to learn. Manufacturing is great. It's intense. It's exciting. There's a lot to learn. It's a new discipline. And I had about five, six, maybe seven years in manufacturing in Schlumberger. And then I moved over to the States. So yeah, that was something new to learn. And then when I worked for Oliden Technology, that was in a completely new environment, which was a business development role. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, but you're still an engineer at trade? Yeah, I did a mechanical engineering degree at the University of Plymouth in England. And yeah, so that's my background. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. How would the, I'm sure it's a lot to learn, like you said, uh, manufacturing can cover so many facets, but is that turned into like where you're more like refining the products and just finding, you're engineering the right processes for the man, for, for a finished product? Yeah, it's a good question. So, so typically, the way the product flows, you could consider that to be a process, and you have full control over that. How the equipment is built and how it's tested, you don't want to interfere with that because experts in the engineering team define those. So those types of things are, are well-defined. Ultimately, manufacturing, what you're trying to do is reduce variability from product to product. Gotcha. Trying to keep that consistency. Yeah. Yeah. It's all about reducing variability at the most efficient throughput. That's probably the best way to put it. Awesome. Awesome. And I'm sure we're going to learn more about that as we go, just knowing the material ahead of us. Now, today's kind of focus or topic, we're really looking at where wireline fits into the, the drilling process today some of the hurdles that that creates, uh, maybe hurdles isn't the right phrase, but costs and time and, and different parts of the process and how those might be diminished with some of the services and the tools that Oladen Technology develops, right? Yes. So why don't, right, yeah. Yeah. So why don't we just start with just a little bit of information about Wireline. So fill me in. I'm sure a lot of our listeners understand the process. 
anybody that's been out in the oil patch or been out has seen the the trucks and, and the equipment and, and has seen it. But where does Wireline fit into the process of of creating and drilling a new well? Yeah. Okay. So first of all, I would say that Wireline is extremely important to the history of downhole measurements. You know, the original downhole resistivity measurements, which were developed by the Schlumberger brothers, they were on wireline. Logging while drilling, measurements while drilling, it didn't exist back then. Everything was done by wireline. And so what happened was that that really became the, the standard of how measurements can be and should be. So as time evolved, wireline was the only method available of gathering the data on the well. The trouble is the well needs to be drilled before you can access the wireline. So that's fine. It takes an additional step after the, the well has been drilled. It means the well has to stay open for a longer time period before it's completed. And it means that you're delaying the time to recover the hydrocarbons. So there's a few financial reasons why wireline is maybe not optimum these days with the with the LDP technology, which has been around for at least 25 years, by the way. In terms of where wireline plays a role today, I think we need to look at the life cycle of an oil field. So the life cycle of an oil field starts with the exploration phase. It moves on to an appraisal stage. And then the mass production of the hydrocarbons kicks in with a development stage. And that lasts a very long time, typically. And towards the end of the field life, you enter the brown field stage. The main place where wireline is, is still used prevalently today is at the beginning. It's at the exploration phase. It's the place where operators want to use as much technology as possible to really get the measurements that they can of that particular geological and petrophysical environment as decisions possible. So that's still a mainstay for wireline. But as LWD technologies have improved, it's possible now to measure LWD probably as good as the wireline tools in many, many different measurements. Okay, awesome. That, you said that very clearly for me. I mean, I've, I understand the process and I've, I've seen it for years and, and been around it, but that was just a very good review. Thank you. And that's where we're contrasting so that the LWD, let's just break that down. The LWD, that's, that's the measurement while drilling, right? Yeah, that's right. So we're able to measure petrophysical properties of the downhole formations whilst we're actually drilling the rock. So instead of the wireline process, the, the legacy wireline process, where you would have to, you'd have to make a trip of pipe and, and the drill bit, you'd have to go down drill, and now you have to pull all of that pipe and all that, that uh, drill string back out, send the wireline tools down, measure it, pull all that back out, and, and you, you kind of have to make all those subsequent changes of tools within the wellbore. Yes, that's correct. So not only are you paying for the additional services, but also you're taking a risk by keeping the hole in what we call an open condition. So after they drill the rock, you know, the rock really, it doesn't like having a big hole in it. It wants to kind of cave in eventually. Sure. So completion stage, which is, you know, think of it as being a big tubular down through the, the wellbore. You know, you're delaying that, that protective tubular whilst you're running wireline operations. And of course, the extra few days you take to run the wireline operations delays your hydrocarbon recovery too. So there's a few reasons why LWD is advantageous. Yeah, absolutely. Now, wireline, I'm just thinking through this, it's also used 
during the fracturing process too, right? Would wireline be the the tool used to deploy the perforating guns and some of those tools? Yeah, that's a good point. So I was once a colleague of somebody that was looking at using a bullet style device on an LWD tool to measure to measure something in the earth. But until that's you know made into a mainstream mainstream product, a wireline conveyed charge is typically how they they still do that. Yes, in conventional wars. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Now, with that, what do you have any idea what the percentage of overall cost might be tied up in the wireline service and and then the time? It's a good question. It's hard to answer. It really depends on the suite of which are run. So if you consider the petrophysical measurements, they, they can be quite broad. You're ranging from the basic gamma ray through to resistivity, which is a little bit more advanced. The resistivity could include, you know, resistivity curves of various depths of investigation, or it could be an imaging tool. And you have acoustic tools, you have density and porosity measurements, which require radioactive sources, nuclear magnetic resonance wireline, Imagine there's an entire portfolio of measurements available. And let's not forget formation pressure. I mean, everyone wants to know how much pressure the reservoir. I mean, it dictates the dictates how much hydrocarbons you're going to get out. So all in all, it's a hard one to answer because it really does vary on sweet run. Yeah, no, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Now, do you see that there's an appetite? I mean... That's a silly question. There's there's always an appetite to reduce costs in the oil field, especially as barrel prices are declining. Do you see that the customers that are coming to Oladen that they're they have an apt- appetite for maybe reducing the wireline costs and reducing maybe those risks that are associated with it? Yes. So ultimately, the driver for this is the oil company. Typically, we don't sell directly to the oil company because they don't have a services division. Our customer is a service company who reports and work for the oil company. So if the oil company has taken the decision that they are encountering too many risks with wireline or spending too much money on wireline, then they would transfer those requirements into some form of tender or some form of request to the service companies in their region and then those service companies would reach out to technology providers such as Oliden to provide the equipment necessary. Okay. What are the what are the typical hurdles for that? I mean, is it is it quite often just cost based or expense based where, you know, they're trying to bring down that break even barrel price on a well or are you finding that there's just like an like let's call it an old school mentality of like well, that's how we've always done it, and we want to keep doing it that way, at least from the hurdles for you guys to deploy these new technologies. Yeah, I, w- I would say the CapEx, releasing CapEx within the overall cycle chain is the hardest hurdle. That's probably the number one hurdle which we're going to come across. Technically, I think that we've, we've solved a lot of the hurdles which are required. We have abilities to work with rotary steerable tools so that you know drilling challenges are now overcome that were in place earlier. And so one by one, we've been successful in knocking down the hurdles, the technical challenges, which are in front of us. And ultimately it does come down to the release of CapEx within the value chain. That's probably the number one. And so there's really, are there any new risks that are 
created through a change, you know, say from the legacy processes to these new LWD tools and, and the processes that come with those? Well, I would say that although we have the latest generation of LWD tools available, I would say that lots of similar LWD technologies are available at the, at the larger oil field service companies. So, you know, this transition from wireline to LWD has been taking place, you know, over the last two decades, I would say. Where we can add value is that we can operate and partner with independent service companies, which is much, much more likely than them partnering with a major oil food service company. That's really where we can add value. Where does that play a role? It plays a role in some places where the government entities who own the assets, the oil and gas assets, they ultimately want to encourage local businesses to, to develop and not just you know keep funding overseas oil field service companies. So the people that they're supporting may be local indigenous service companies who can come to us high technology LWD. Okay, yeah, okay, that that makes that makes a lot of sense. And I know you and I spent a good little bit of time coming through that to make sure because I I need to understand that too on that and and the right way to steer this conversation. So that that helps. And you'd also mentioned too that not only does are you opening the availability to these technologies to um, smaller companies, or but you're also a much more nimble company when it comes to um, just a, a working relationship, right? Yeah, that's right. I mean, we're, we're proud of that. And all of the people in our organization come from large oil field service companies, and we've grown up in that environment, and we've certainly benefited from it. But we've all come here with our own story of how we think we would have done it better ourselves. And one of the key things about Olidan technology is the flat structure of the organization and the agility to take the correct decision quickly, early, move on and make progress. I mean, it's it's impressive to see the difference between Olidan technology and organizations without the flat structure. Awesome. Is the company solely based out of Houston? We are, the engineering, manufacturing, research and development takes place in Houston. We have about 33 employees now. And one of our software packages is handled in Beijing. So we have some people there working on our software. We have all of our own proprietary software. So some of the software is used to program tools. Some of the software is used to you know, decode MWD telemetry streams. And some of the software is used to store, acquire data, make log deliverables for customers. And that particular piece of software is made, developed, upgraded in Beijing, in China. So we've got a small arm there. Okay. Oh, that's good. So I guess I was misunderstood with the progress on how far along LWD and MWD processes have have come. It sounds like it's this is slowly becoming or, or maybe is already becoming the, the benchmark process. Do you have any other hurdles left for the you know the legacy processes kind of going away and this becoming the benchmark? It's a good question. I would say that substantial effort and substantial investment has been made in the industry over the last two decades by the leaders of the service divisions, which are Schlumberger, Baker, Halliburton, and Weatherford. You know, the investment that they've made needs to be repaid, and it has been, and it will be, and it continually, it will be. 
And, you know, ultimately, I think the people that have suffered have been, in some way, the wireline organizations who, just because of the nature of drilling a well, are always are always going to, you know, be prime target for, you know, for changing and improving into LWD. So in terms of our hurdles, I think we've solved a lot of the technical hurdles which are out there. We've got a, a tremendous portfolio, which we're very proud of. We can basically do almost all the measurements that the best of the big four can do. You know, we have newer equipment. So, you know, by virtue of that, our equipment is at least as good as some of the bigger people's equipment. So we're very pleased with our portfolio. Yeah, it sounds like you should be. That's good. You guys are doing some some really good work. Along those lines, do you have do you have like a, a success story that that you've been a part of with with your organization? Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, every time we go into a qualification, it's a success story. I mean, there was there was one qualification we did internationally that one of our tools had to work in a particular environment, and it was a new environment for us. And during the first run, we were struggling to get the measurement that we should have obtained. And we had to do an engineering fix in record time, you know, because the, the end user, the oil company, they, they have little patience for, you know, not getting it right the first time. And so, uh, we addressed the issue. And for the next run, we solved the problem. And the qualification was a big success. And hats off to the agility and the leadership of the organization for achieving that. That was yeah, a big absolutely. Yeah. That's real good. That's great. Is there anything we haven't touched on? I mean, either through maybe what's on the horizon for Oladen or something you wanted to get out to the audience that just we just haven't touched on? Well, I think it's it's just to point out, you know, the way we like to partner. So we like to choose successful independent companies in various places around the globe and partner with them and bring mutual success to each other. That's the philosophy of the organization. I would say the other philosophy we take, which is very clear to me, is that we always under-promise and over-deliver. That's just an honest assessment of what I see happening all the time. We will always under-promise and over-deliver. And that's something quite fresh <laughs> to, uh, to be exposed to. So that's something very rewarding too. We're agile, we have a great portfolio, and we're keen to do business with new partners. So. Yeah, I think overall it's a very good story that we have. Yeah, no, that's great. And it's interesting that you mentioned that. I can't remember exactly which episode it was, but I had a guest, another guest. I want to say they were out of Norway. This is episode 35, I think. So I'm I'm, I'm getting a little bit here far back, but I believe they were out of Norway. And that was one of the things that they said too. They were, they were living in Houston or, or still live in Houston and they're like, we come here and I miss that in Norway, people actually show up. <laughs> and like when, when they sell you something, they actually deliver on it. And, you know, I kind of had this running thought that, you know, we, we don't always do that here in America. And, and I totally agree. I have made that a pillar of my career as well. I've always tried to do that. I think that's the best recipe for success. So Kudos for you and for you and for all of them for you guys sticking to it. it. It can be hard when your competitors might not be doing that. You know, it, it doesn't always paint a level playing field on paper that way. So, kudos. Awesome! It's been a fantastic discussion. I learned a lot. It's interesting to hear 
a little bit about your backstory and, and the backstory of Oladen and what you guys are doing and how you guys are making these newer technologies available to some of the, the smaller operators, the smaller companies out there uh, and bringing optionality to, you know, a world without, <laughs> with few options, <laughs> if you will. So those big four take over a lot. So thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate the time. Yeah, thank you very much, Andy. I think you've summed it up brilliantly. You know, ultimately, we now have technology available to the masses, and it wasn't there before. So, yeah, thanks very much. You're welcome. Everybody listening, thank you very much for your time. I hope you enjoyed the show. I hope you found some found it educational as well as entertaining. Again, if you can leave a review or a comment wherever you receive this comment, that greatly this content, excuse me, that greatly helps us improve the show and reach a broader audience. All right, it was a good one, and we will catch you on the next one. Here are events on deck. This is Savannah, and here are the events on deck for September 2020. There's the FPSO World Congress 2020, and that's on September 1st to the 4th, and also the 8th, and it's all online. The next one is Building the Future Industrial Summit on September the 16th, and that's also online. There's also the 4th Annual Blockchain and Oil and Gas Conference 2020, and that's on September the 16th to the 18th. Then there's the Genius Symposium and Exhibition for Upstream Innovation 2020, and that's September the 22nd to the 24th. And there's also Effective Leadership Through Change and Uncertainty featuring Condoleezza Rice, and that's on September the 24th. There's also NAEP Summer 2020 from August 11th to September the 14th, And lastly, there's BP Week 2020, September 14th to 16th. That's all for September. I hope you guys have a great month and thanks for tuning in. Tune in next week for another episode of the Oil & Gas Offshore Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at oilandgasoffshore.com.